In this episode of Great Practices, I'm talking with Jared Martin, owner of PDC Homebuyers. Find out how this business owner slash construction project manager is able to balance resources with project workload, has learned the importance of saying no, and one great practice on how he vets out people that work for him. Plus, you'll be pleasantly surprised to hear that there is such a thing as a free lunch if you work for Jared. And find out how viewing yourself as an orchestra conductor will keep everyone on the same sheet of music. It's hard to say when something is a best practice, but it's much easier to know when something is a great practice. And that's what this podcast is all about. Interviews with PMO and project management leaders who, through years of trial and error, have discovered their own great practices and are now sharing their insights with you. Now, sit back and enjoy the conversation as Chris Kopp uncovers another great practice in this episode. We'd like to welcome you to this episode of Great Practices, and today we're going to be getting out of our comfort zone a bit. Now, I'm not sure if you're necessarily going to be getting out of yours, but I certainly will be getting out of mine. Uh, The projects I've managed, the PMOs I've run over the years, uh, all had an IT component to them. So this could be anywhere from building websites to applications to hardware deployments, but that's not what our guest today does. Uh, Jared Martin is the owner of PDC Homebuyers, and he's the owner of a real estate investment company that buys and sells distressed properties. So all his project management experience is in the construction space. So I'm anxious to dig into some of the similarities and differences there are between IT and construction project management. Uh, uncovering some of the challenges that he's had to deal with, how he's dealt with them, uh, and discovering some more great practices in an entirely different field than what I'm used to. So, Jared, we'd like to welcome you to Great Practices. Thank you very much, Chris. I'm happy to be here. So the first question I have, Jared, is can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, um, you nailed it. I'm with my wife, we are the operators of PDC Homebuyer uh, here in Georgia. We look for distressed properties, houses that need some love, attention, and uh, we renovate those. And our goal is to put uh, a family in those homes that would love them. So we buy and sell distressed properties. Nice. How long have you been doing this now? Uh, we moved to this area about 16 years ago, right when the crash happened. And we kind of found ourselves buying and selling real estate, not on purpose, but by accident. And we've been doing it ever since. So if you ever watch any of those shows on the, the TV about buying and selling real estate or fixing up houses, that's pretty much exactly what we do. So, Jared, tell us what um, what does a typical project look like that you would manage? Like, um, you know, how large are they? Duration? Uh, how many could you have going on at a time? What is, what's a typical project look like in your world? Yeah, that's kind of changed as of recent. I mean, ideally, the smaller the projects are, the better for what we do. We'd like to find something that just needs paint and carpet and put it on it on its way. But uh, with the market conditions the way they are, it seems that the larger projects are what's available now, ones that need a little bit more work. So I would say our typical uh, typical job project that we would be doing is a single family home, maybe 1,500 square feet would be ideal something that a family wants to live in. Yeah. Um, it, the duration of the project could go anywhere from eight to 12 weeks. Some of the ones that have more work would be, you know, longer than that. And, uh, you know, you can spend 20, 
thousand on something that's very minimal up to 80,000 plus on those that need work. Got it. So how many of these projects do you have going on at any, any moment of time? Like what's a, a low end and what's a high end maybe of what you'd have going on? Uh, so a low on, low end would be just one project. Yeah. Um, and then if we're only doing one project, we're actively looking for another one. <laughs> so right. we're out scouting around trying. And, and like I said, the market dictates that if, if there's nothing out there, we're not going to just jump on something just to keep ourselves busy. You know, we want to be smart about that. So in those events, we will take on some remodels and some, uh, you know, other types of work, but our focus is on, you know, what they call flipping the house. Okay. And as far as what we can take on, the sweet spot is really three projects. Um, when you have three projects going, it's almost like poetry. It's like you've got enough work for all the different pieces of the puzzle to go from one to the other. And then when they're finished up with that, they go to the other and it's ready for the next, you know, crew to go in after that. And three is pretty much ideal for uh, optimization of productivity. Okay. All right. That's good. So you've, you've probably had more than three and kind of <laughs> maybe felt like you're going off the rails a little bit every now and then, right? Yeah. So if you get too big, you know, you go beyond three and then you got to look at, oh, we need some more help. We need to bring on this and then we need to bring on that. Yeah. And you can certainly do that. But then when things slow down, you got all that help and you got all that back end stuff and things slow down, then you're like, oh, no. So yeah. keep it small enough to manage and keep moving and uh, grow if you need to, but only then. So over these 16 years, I am sure you've come across many challenges, right? Um, what would you say, if you reflect on these years, what are the top challenges uh, that you've had to deal with and what are some of the ways that you've uh, overcome them? Um, in one word, the, the biggest challenge is balance. And it goes across the spectrum of what we do. But just as I touched on before about having the proper workload, uh, if you don't have enough workload, then the problem is, is you lose the distance, the connection between, you know, your subcontractors, your guys, you don't have enough work to keep them busy. They go away here, go away there. And then to get them back when you need them is very tough. And if you have too much work, I think anyone can relate to what happens then is the stress level goes up, the demands go up, quality goes down and overall production suffers among other things too. So Having the balance of the workload yeah. for what we have is key. And then also balance, you know, within that, you know, keeping contractors happy and different people happy within the scope of the work we're doing. So the balance then, uh, I mean, it sounds like it's a resource allocation, resource management challenge. What are some of the ways um, that you've been able to overcome that and kind of, you know, make that not so much of an issue over these past 16 years? Um, well, I think the 16 years of experience has helped to overcome that. And what I mean by that is when we buy one of these houses, there is unforeseen things that pop up when, when we buy and we inherit all the problems it has. So yeah. for instance, if, you know, you have a foundation situation or a dry rot situation underneath some drywall that you didn't know about, or, you know, each one of those is going to delay a timeline. It's going to delay an expectation. It's going to delay a trade. And uh, before, you know, we buy a house, we kind of spec out what we think we can sell it for, what we think we're going to put into it and how long it's going to take to do. But in reality, those change the instant you buy the house. So um, being flexible and adaptable to that and 
when you, when you have more than one project going on, that's where that helps. Because if you have a delay on one, now you focus over here and you create the work to keep the flow going. Got it. And that's why it sounds like that's why it's good to have three, you know, exactly put the guys where they need to be, but not overwhelming or underwhelming them for that matter. That's yeah, exactly. That's what I found for me to be the sweet spot is three. Yeah. yeah. Any other challenges uh, that come to the top of the mind when you think about uh, your years in business here? Um, another challenge. And again, for your listening audience, it may be a little different. You know, if you're assigned a project, you have this project scope that starts here, ends here. Um, with what I do, I'm basically the project manager of a hundred different projects. Okay. And so, um, one thing that helps uh, one challenge is to be careful of the projects I take on. So I, I'm not working for a company. I'm not getting assigned these projects. This is my decision. I'm making the decision to take on this project. And so when I do it again, having the experience that I do, I, I can foresee a lot. Whereas back in the day, I've taken on projects that, you know, I've lived and learned on or, yeah. you know, took notes on, but, um, Today, being disciplined on the projects that I take on and, you know, like I said, when maybe you only have one project going on and you need something else going on to keep those guys busy, there is a temptation to say, hey, you know, maybe, maybe I'll do this. I'll go grab this one over here when in reality, you know better. So just having that trust and discipline to only take on the projects that you, you know, you can execute well on. That's good. So it's like you really, you have to be able to say no, right? And it's like, it's probably hard to do that early on, but it's bit you probably over the years. And, you know, you get to the point where you can say no. Yeah, you have to. Um, and a lot of people, when they find out you do this for a profession, they're like, oh man, I see those TV shows. I'd love to do it. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's like, if, if you did try it, the first one, you know, you'd have such laser focus on it and you'd be all in and you'd be there every day and it would probably turn out well, but to do it over and over and over again, you just, you have to have that discipline. You have to say no, because like I said, you inherit every problem that comes with these houses and yeah. not everyone is one that you would want to, you know, take on. Yeah. So communication is hard enough for people sitting at their desks with email teams, you know, all these other screens and everything in front of them. So I can only imagine, um, you know, what it's like in the field, you know, that you guys are, are working out in these homes and, and flipping these houses. How do you ensure that everybody is on the same page? So you got these guys all over doing their jobs and working in their different trades and crafts. How, how's, how, how do you keep everybody playing well together there? Um, so yeah, communication is key and knowing each individual, whether it's when you're in-house guys or whether it's a subcontractor, knowing, uh, what their strengths are and what their communication style is. Um, cause everybody communicates differently. You know, somebody could be as grumpy as, <laughs> but they're not grumpy. That's just who they are, you know? Yeah. Um, so understanding who they are, the benefit we have is, and, and this is another practice that I do is, is I try to vet the individual well in advance. I, I put more time into understanding who they are, strengths, weaknesses, and this and that. And before they become a full on team member or subcontractor I'm use over and over again, I want to yeah. make sure who they are because we have such a, 
kind of cohesive team already that adding a wrong piece is obviously going to be detrimental to that. So, um, and, and we've had a lot of guys for a long period of time working. So, so we have a, a really strong unit. So adding any new piece to that, we definitely want to know, Hey, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Who are you? And then, you know, let them in. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's good. Cause you're right. It's like, you get that well-performing team, you get that wrong person in there and they could, you know, just cause the whole group to cave in, you know, there's no doubt. So it's good to spend that, uh, that time up front in order to get the right person there. What else do you do to kind of make sure that everybody's on the same page? Well, one thing, and I did this a long time ago and I did it um, more so for productivity is I buy lunch. I buy lunch for the guys every day. Okay. And, uh, the, the thought behind it is when they get there and they set up their tools, it takes a while before they're actually getting into a production mode. And then lunch comes at 12 o'clock and for them to stop what they're doing, take off, come back 45 minutes later, and then put the tool belt on or whatever they're doing. And it, it's just, to me, it was a production thing. Yeah. If you eat lunch on site, you know, you're off and running. But now that we've done it so much, the communication and the team building that happens while those guys are sitting there in the same place, eating lunch together. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, I would never stop doing it. It's, it's highly beneficial. I know it's probably doesn't fit for what everybody does or their circumstances, but um, at least maybe once a week or something do that where you could sit the, the guys down together and they, they get to know each other. They, you know, and you got time to talk shop too. So it's really good. So you'll get lunch for guys on all of your projects that are going on that day. Like you'll go or send somebody, go get them lunch. Yeah. So, it, I mean, there's reason within this because it's typically two or three guys. Um, there are occasions when we have what I call a high production day. Yeah. So maybe we have a roof going on at the same time we got up, you know, and there could be eight guys on the job site. And selectively, I'll do that where I'll go get lunch for eight to 10 guys too. Yeah. Um, but typically it's like two or three guys, I'll go get the lunch, bring it in. And what's interesting about that is now they bring lunch. <laughs> Just last week, um, the painter, his wife makes the best ceviche you've ever had. And probably I would say once a month or once every couple of weeks, he's like, well, we do ceviche, you know, and brings it in big tub of it. We got the works and he does it not just for me, but he brings it for That's whoever fantastic. else is working that time too. And he's not the only one. The other, tra- you know, other team members will do that too. And so there's a bond there. They they get to know each other. And uh, yeah, it's like a, it's a great side effect of what you were doing for just efficiency, right? And it's like it just even you know that investment that investment in food has just paid off probably way more than you had even expected. So it's a great way of doing it. Yeah, and I think there's something that you know when you eat eat with someone, you know, you, it's away from work. I mean, your work, you're there, you're seeing the job, yeah. but when you break bread and, you know, you can talk and talk about your family, talk about different things, you know, there's a closeness and a camaraderie that gets built. Um, I'll tell you a sad story about eating together. Uh, there was a company I worked at many years ago and they would bring in lunch for all of the developers four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Same, same reasoning. It was productivity because instead of sending people, you know, people leaving for lunch and coming back an hour, hour and a half later, they just said it's going to be better if we just buy everybody lunch and they, they hang out here. 
Um, so then people started gaming the system. So they'd eat lunch and then they'd play chess or something for like an hour <laughs> there. <laughs> and then as the company got into trouble because of, you know, 9-11 and there was all kinds of issues around whatever was funding the company, uh, they, uh, they gradually took the, took the lunches away. So we knew that we knew the company was in trouble when we all had to start go buy our own lunches. But while it lasted, you know, it was great. It was just like everybody was there and it was just a really nice perk. And like you're saying, just kind of built that camaraderie up. Now you've, you've likened yourself to an orchestra conductor. You know, we've had a conversation before uh, the show here. What, what some more of your tricks of getting everybody to play well together? Anything, any insight there? Um, so with that, what I would say is recognizing the skill set of what quote unquote players that you got and in construction, when you, when you talk to someone and you ask them, what, what are your skills? It's very common for them to say, Oh, you know, I know how to do this, 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 and this. Yep. And what I do, anytime I hear someone tell me they're a jack of all trades and they have 30 years experience and I asked them right back. I said, of all of the skills that you just described, what would you pick as your number one skill? What are you a master at? And if they hesitate or they, they have to think about it, I know, I know they're not a master at any one of them, right? They, they may know how to do a number of things, but they're not a master at any one. And so that tells me something. Whereas if their response is, you know, I'm a, a trim carpenter. I got 20 years finishing houses out and cabinets and, you know, they tell me that, well, you know, I know, I know they know how to do that part of it. So knowing what I'm dealing with as far as the instrument players is key. Do you, do you ever like go see samples of their work or ask them to, to, to do sample work or anything like that? Is that part of, part of your vetting out process? No, I would say the majority of the vetting I can do verbally. Okay. You can know. I've been okay. around it long enough to know, you know, how you answer. And, you know, once you ask that initial question, you can do some sub questions and hear the response as well. And you're going to know, <laughs> you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are. And, and, and a jack of all trades and a master of none is great. We have some of those mm-hmm. and it's perfect, but you have to know that's in your instrument, you know, that that's in your orchestra. And so you're going to call on him to do scopes that you wouldn't call on somebody else to do scopes. So you got to know who all the the different components are, who's the master, who's the lead guy. You know, there's a lot of ego in construction. You don't want to take one trade and have another guy of the same trade come in behind them. It never goes well, right? They always pick, and circumstances are always different. So knowing when to give the guy the, the floor and let him play, and when the other guy is done playing, and then sometimes we have an orchestra where the, you know, they all play together. They don't like sharing the stage, huh? <laughs> Very seldom. And if you find it, believe it or not, if you find someone that does like sharing the stage, who's a master of what they do and does not mind working side by side with someone else that does the same thing and they can work the entire day and be productive and they're liking each other, yeah. you get the gold mine. I mean, that's what you want. You want guys that can work together because sometimes you, you know, it's not up to one guy to get the whole trade, the whole scope of work done under one trade. Sometimes that takes forever. You need to be able to put two and three people together to get something done. Yeah. If you get two guys that just can't get along or it's terrible. I can only imagine. 
So is there anything else, Jared, that our listeners should know about when it comes to successfully managing construction projects? For me, it's kind of digging deeper a little bit. And what I would say to that is um, the word humility. Hmm. And the, the reason I say that is because for me to do what I do, I have to recognize all the things I don't know, right? <laughs> There's yeah. so many different aspects to flipping a house, so many different trades involved. You know, I'm not an ele- expert electrician. I'm not an expert plumber. I'm not an expert at a lot of the things that go into what we do. But you have to recognize what you don't know and get the right people in there to take care of it. And so that's what I do all across the board is, you know, when I ask these people these questions and I'm vetting them and I'm asking them, I really want to know what you don't know, like what, what you feel uncomfortable doing. Yeah. And not only would we help you do it or pair you with someone that can help you do that, but we're not going to put that on your shoulders to do something that you're uncomfortable doing. And the, the guys that will say they know how to do everything and kind of step forward and do something, that's, that's, a, that's when you get in trouble. So humility is a, a key factor. Knowing your limitations, right? Yep. That's good. Well, what's the best way to reach you if someone has more questions or wanted to discuss any of these ideas that you've uh, talked about today further? Uh, Well, we have a website. It's www.ibuypdc.com. Okay. And we are actually working on that as we speak to kind of revamp it a little bit. Um, And a direct email is, it's very difficult. You can remember my name. It's jaredmartin at gmail.com. Got it. And we'll include that in the show notes too. Well, Jared, we appreciate you coming on today. And thank you for getting me out of my comfort zone and making it not terribly uncomfortable. Um, And and what's interesting is, you know, the challenges, uh, the experiences that you've recounted as it relates to construction is pretty much the same thing. It's just different skill sets and it's just different people and it's just a different environment. But the challenges are the same of having the right people in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. And, you know, how do you keep everybody motivated? And so we definitely appreciate you jumping on today and sharing some of your great practices with us. I appreciate it too, Chris. It's been a pleasure. All right. Talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Well, that was another great episode of Great Practices, and we'd like to thank Jared for being on today. So what were some of the great practices that uh, we were able to glean from today's episode? Uh, I like some of the points that he brought about of the challenges that he faced. Uh, One of the biggest challenges is being balanced, Uh, not having enough work to keep his guys busy, and they leave. (laughs) If there's too much work, uh, the stress level goes up, demand goes up, quality goes down. Uh, and that's a whole bunch of other problems there. So I kind of like the way that he's found his sweet spot of exactly how many projects to be running at a time and uh, in order to keep his guys busy and occupied, but not at the same time killing them while he's at it. Uh, what about the idea of being disciplined to say no, uh, knowing when to realize that even though it may look good on the surface or maybe something that you want to do uh, in order to fill in some extra time, knowing uh, that behind the scenes, it may be a problem. And like the fact that he had the discipline to say no, something we could certainly all learn from. And when it comes to communication, I like the fact that he took the responsibility on himself to communicate effectively. 
because uh, that is so accurate. It's like there's a sender and there's a receiver, and it's not the receiver's responsibility necessarily to get the message. It is the sender's responsibility to make sure the message is received. So he gets to know each individual personally, whether it's an in-house employee or a subcontractor. He learns their communication style and preference, uh, puts time and understanding into who they are, and then he'll adapt to make sure that they're receiving the message and the communication in the way that works best for them. Uh, so a very effective way in the way that he communicates with his uh, employees and subcontractors. What about that idea of a free lunch? There is such a thing as a free lunch. What's the principle that we can get out of that? He basically gets everybody together. He does it every single day, but having everybody come together, uh, talk about work, talk about personal things in that environment uh, is good. And it has increased his productivity as well uh, and the camaraderie that's come out of that. So, uh, you know, it's a, a, an investment, but certainly you can see that there is a return on that investment in how effective his business is run there. And he likened himself to an orchestra conductor. You know, he realized that there was different musicians, there were different skill sets that they played different instruments. And so he knew which ones that needed to play at a particular time uh, when they all needed to play together, which ones he didn't need to have on the stage at the same time playing together. Uh, I thought that was very insightful as far as uh, really how he views himself and uh, making sure that he's getting the most out of his people and out of his teams. And then this was an interesting quality to bring to the table about how to be a good project manager. Humility. You know, he recognizes his limitations. He recognizes what he doesn't know. He recognizes that he's not an expert in all of these other areas or all these trades, um, and he's going to rely upon those that are. So he finds the right people. He communicates well with them. And then uh, he sets them up as the expert and lets them do their job. So again, great lesson for all of us to uh, take advantage of in whatever types of projects we're managing. So I'd like to thank Jared Martin again for being on today and joining us on Great Practices. And do you have a great practice that you'd like to share? Go to the pmoleader.com, click on Explore, Great Practices Podcast, and then fill out the form at the bottom of the screen. Someone will get in touch with you shortly. And also be sure not to miss out on a single episode by subscribing to Great Practices on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you hear, we've had a lot of great guests on over the past couple of years now. Be sure to share this with your manager, colleagues, uh, and anyone else you think would benefit. Thanks again for listening to this episode and keep putting great practices into practice. <laughs>